Hello and welcome to the New Spiro podcast where we interview experts, authorities and characters on all things spearfishing. Come and join us after the show at noobspiro.com, the online spearfishing community helping you to become a better Spiro. Here are your hosts for the show, Shrek and Turbo. G'day Noob Spiro. Today we're a bit sport. We've got Tank Sade. He's a prolific Spiro freediver and he's based in LA. He's over here at the moment acting. You only come to Australia once per year at the moment. Tank, is that right? Yeah, yeah. The one time I get to get away and spend some time spearfishing in Australia and some time with my family. It's always good fun. Whereabouts are you at the moment and where have you been spearfishing while you've been home this time? I'm in Sydney at the moment, so I've just been spearing in the eastern suburbs, but I just came back from the Sunshine Coast. I do an annual sojourn with a dive buddy of mine. We do a road trip. We basically just jump in the Hilux and drive up the coast and just meet up with mates along the way. And we usually stop in at Coffs or Tweed or Sunshine Coast. And so that were the three stops we made this year. And I'm hopefully trying to get back up there in the next couple of weeks to do a little bit more diving. Cool. And that's just in between acting at the moment? Yeah, well, I'm shooting a mini series in Melbourne, so I just work around my dates on that. So I just got back from shooting for a week, and I've got a couple of weeks off, and then I'll be back down in Melbourne in February. All right, now I was reading up, you've got two current Australian freediving records. One's with Dynamic with Fins, and the other one's Dynamic No Fins. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I set the Dynamic record in 2012, I believe, and then four months later I did the Dynamic No Fins record in 2013. I was coached by Wayne Judge in 2012 for my Dynamic record. He's a keen Spiro, lives on, in Brisbane now, I think. Yeah, he's, um, he's two suburbs away. Right he's now. two suburbs away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a good man, Wayne. I, I have a lot of gratitude for the, the work he did. He helped me immensely. Oh, cool. And yeah, and then I did the No Fins record the following year. So they were good fun. I got to compete at the World Championships in Serbia last year, which was a great learning experience. And I got to you know, rub shoulders and compete with the best freedivers in the world. Yeah, wow. So what is your dynamic record? How far did you swim? My dynamic record was 218 metres. Wow. And my no fins record was 177 metres. That's phenomenal. You say no fins, 177. Yeah, yeah. So the old record was 175. So, yeah, the idea was, you know, just just do two metres more and then come up. So it's exactly what I did. I don't know what's going on because I'm training with Judgy and I'm not getting anywhere near that. No, I'm pulling a 50 no fins on a good night. Yeah, but look, let's take into into context here, like where you started from and where he's taking you. <laughs> You're 400% better than where you started from. He was flat Relative, out. Mate. Exactly yeah. right, Tank. You, you probably started off doing you know, maybe 50 metres, Tank, and you know, you, you've gone four times that distance now. Levi, he started off doing 10 metres and now on a really good day, what, 25? On a good day with the bubbles on at one end. Ah, okay, cool, cool. So that's awesome. Comparatively, mate, you're better than I am then. There you go. He's doing well. You can polish your turn anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Where did you start spearfishing and how long have you been at it? Technically, I started spearfishing when I was about 12 or 13. I've always had an affinity for the water. From as young an age as I can remember, I had goggles on and a snorkel and I was always just playing around in the shallows. And when I was about 12 or 13, I asked my old man if I could have a spear gun and he said no. <laughs> but it, he said I could have a pole spear. So oh, cool. My parents have a, a little holiday house on the south coast of New South Wales. And every summer we'd go down there and 
he'd drop me off by the lighthouse and I'd just swim out with a with a little rashie on and some plastic fins and a pole spear. And I did that for a few years and then I asked for a spear gun for Christmas and I still have it. It's a land and sea 90 centimetre spear gun with a shaft that's um, the wrong size and it's got one of those Mako double flopper oh, heads yeah. on it. You're talking turbo's language here, yeah, Tank. Mate, that's, that's what he started language. with. Yeah, yeah, that's where I started. I dove with that gun for 10 years. Wow. Really? Uh, that was the only gun I ever had. And, you know, I kind of only ever spearfished when I was on the South Coast. And I only ever did it on my own. I didn't I didn't know anyone else that did the sport. I didn't know that there were competitions or that. I, I had no idea there was a spearfishing community at all. Mm. Oh, wow. And it was only in the last four or five years that I decided that I wanted to learn more about the sport and I started kind of Googling stuff online and finding clubs and getting onto forums. And then from that point on, it kind of accelerated really quickly. Yeah. You know, people ask me that question all the time and I say, well, yes, I've been spearing for 20 years, but I'm pretty much a noob myself really because it's only been the last four years that I've been, you know, attacking it with vigor and, and learning as much as I can. Yeah. It's amazing the the difference in learning curves with guys because I was the same. I just had the Sea Hornet 90 centimeter wooden gun. And I was just going off the shore by myself for like two years until I met this guy out there and he had like a flash rabby tech and he really knew his stuff. And I went from just sort of shooting blubber lit brim and moeys and loving it to like starting to shoot mackerel within the space of like a month. And it was just all this guy's knowledge. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Like knowledge really is power and it's great when someone takes you under their wing like that, you're forever grateful. Who was probably the first person that took you under their wing, started giving you some serious advice, Tank? There's a shop down in Sydney called Obsession Dive and a guy there by the name of Craig Shepherd, who's a mad Spiro, him and his wife, Justine, they have that shop there. And like a lot of Spiros, they just had a real love for it, you know. And Craig kind of got me started and hooked me up with a few people. Okay. And one of them is one of my best mates now. His name's Luke Hamilton. And, you know, it was one of those situations where Craig just called up this guy and said, hey, will you take this guy out? He's over here from the States. And I think Luke actually thought I was going to be American, which is quite, you know, funny. <laughs> and I just met this guy, Luke, at some random location at some weird hour in the morning. And then, you know, he subsequently took me out on my first dive. And it's, it's just gone from there, really. Now I've got so many mentors, I don't know. You know, I've got a file of decks of them. <laughs> I'll just call them up for everything and anything I can sponge them off. And that, that really is how you get good at anything in life, isn't it? You find a bunch of people that can help you get where you want to go. Exactly. I think the world has changed so much just with the internet in, in good and in bad ways. But some of the good things is that the amount of access to knowledge you can have now at your fingertips is incredible. You know, I just basically cold emailed people and said, hey, I want to learn how to hunt this species. And the next thing I know, we're on Skype and we're talking until three in the morning. it's just a wonderful piece of technology a lot of the Spiro guys some of them are just so value driven they love sharing their knowledge one-on-one not so much online but when you can speak in person they most of them are very personable and 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 keen to share the knowledge yeah absolutely i find Spiros are just some of the most generous people on earth it's such a contrast for me and it really keeps me going mate because you know, I, I live in hollywood it's a pretty cutthroat town there are 20 million people in one city and everyone's there with one objective, you know, and that's to get ahead. So whenever I can get out of that little bubble and, and get on a boat with a few Spiros or, you know, go down to the pub and, and chat with some people about hunting techniques or, or whatever it is, it's it's always a great reprieve. You know, we're very, very lucky. So are you spearfishing while you're over in LA and, and have you got a community of Spiros over there? 
Yeah, I do. Hunt white sea bass over there. Yeah, Kind of like the American equivalent of the mulloway, I guess. It's, yep. a, it's a highly prized and coveted fish. And people pretty much exclusively hunt that one species. Like They will forego hunting anything else in order to get one of those. And, and people dedicate their whole lives to it. It's just what they do over there. Okay. How many white sea bass have you shot, Tank? And what's your best one to date? God, I don't know how many. I've shot quite a few now. Have you been out with Terry Mars? I haven't. I know Terry. We've spoken on a number of occasions and I actually had a court case last year and he did quite a bit to help me defend that, which was really generous of him, which I then lost. <laughs> oh, no. Um, just, to, just to clarify, I got fined for walking down a hiking trail that had been used by Spiros for 50 years on public land. Oh. There is a thing in California called prescriptive rights, which means if a, if a trail has been established, they can't stop you from walking down it. So it wasn't anything juicy. But the Spiro community really rallied behind me and all got together and we put up a good fight. But unfortunately, I think governments sometimes just need the money. So <laughs> the revenue was more important. But anyway, I digress. Yes, I know Terry. He's a good man. Very generous. So we were just talking white sea bass. Did you have a memorable one recently? I think. Probably my most memorable sea bass. I've got a few. My first one was pretty special just because I, I made an absolute meal of it. But I remember I was working on a movie at the time and I was just so mad to try and find one of these sea bass. And, you know, I'd heard all these stories of, you know, they call them the silver ghost. Like people hunt sea bass for years and never see one. And the conditions are horrendous. I mean, the water temp starts at about 11 and a half degrees and gets to about, you know, 17 or 18. Water viz on average is about three to five metres. On an epic day, it's, you know, eight to ten. And it's just in kelp forest. And I was determined to get one, and I dove, I think it was like eight dives, averaging three to six hours a dive, and not seeing a single fish. You know, it's not like diving in Australia where if you're not seeing fish, then... You know, you might see some ockies or some rays or some reef sharks or, mm. you know, some moeys or, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. You just weren't seeing anything, you know. All, all you were seeing was kelp. And I was talking to these guys that I was working on this movie with and I said, you know, I'm trying to hunt one of these and I'm showing them videos and stuff. And they're like, oh, you've got to get us one for the rap party, you know. And I, I said, yeah, it's, it's not that easy. Like, no, we well, got to – come on, you've got to get one. It's next Monday. You've got to get one for the rap party. And I was like, yeah, well, I'll try. And then that day I went out for a dive and I was determined to get one. And I was out there and I did, it was a short dive. I remember I did three or four hours. I was in a seven mil. It was, you know, 14, 15 degrees. Didn't see a thing. I packed a lunch. I went back to shore. I sat on the rock. I ate lunch. And then I went back in the water and I did another three or four hours. And it was pretty much right on sunset that this sea bass just swam right in front of me in the kelp. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. And it was the first time I'd ever seen one. At that point, I thought they were snuff luckless. I was just like, <laughs> these things don't exist. If they have, I would have seen one by now. And I saw it, and the thing that everyone kept telling me in the States was you've got to use a slip tip. White sea bass are really soft flesh, and they'll tear out. Yeah. If it's not a great shot, they'll tear out, and they just kept saying that to me over and over again. And, of course, we only ever use floppers. Yeah. And I had a 110 with a flopper on it. And they're all using these mid-handle cannons with slip tips. And so I see it and they said, let it run. That's the one note they all gave me was just let the fish run. Don't try and horse it. Don't bite it. Let it run. Okay. So I shoot this fish. Now, the thing is, is that 
it was only 30 inches. <laughs> That's still like a metre long. About 75 centimetres. Which is a pup, really. It's a it's a baby sea bass. It's not. It's legal, but it's you know nothing to write home about. But to me, it was you know it was a big deal. And I, of course, I let this thing almost spool me. Like it took you know thirty meters of line. Which anyone who hunts white sea bass would just think this is the most hilarious thing ever because it's basically like you know letting a five kilo fish spool you or something. <laughs> like eight kilo fish. All I heard was this soft flesh thing, right? Uh. And then it took me almost forty five minutes to get the reel out of the kelp line oh, because no. what happens with line in kelp is that the fish just runs and goes nuts and just continually wraps itself around kelp stalks. Yeah. Oh, so wow. you, you then spend the next hour retracing your reel line and untangling it all. Oh. And, you know, by the time I got out of there, it was dark. I couldn't see anything. I had to hike up the cliffs. But, you know, I got to that wrap party in time. I threw that fish down on the table. I was embarrassed because it was so small, but to them it was the biggest fish they'd ever seen. You were Alpha and Tank. That was Alpha Tank. You know, Alpha all Tank. These, all, these, all these little actresses in their mini skirts and here comes oh, this big, yeah. Australian masculine <laughs> fish over his shoulder. Oh, and, yeah. The party can start now. <laughs> Alpha Tank's arrived. Now. Yeah. But awesome. it's, quite, it's quite funny because if you're shooting a fish that small, you don't let your real line run out. You know, you just pull it in. And uh, and I've since, you know, forced 60-pound sea bass. So if you've got a good holding shot on them, then the jury's still out on whether you need to let them play that much. So what are they? Are they soft as mackerel or comparatively? What's, what's sort of oh, something? softer than mackerel. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't shoot them, if you don't get them in a good a good holding shot. Yeah, they're softer than mackerel. Cool. What's a mulloway like? Because they look like a mulloway. I've never shot one. Yeah, they look very similar to a mulloway, but the mulloway seems to have more sturdier scales, whereas a sea bass is, it doesn't at all. It's very soft. Are they good eating? Oh, mate, it's it's probably my favourite eating fish out there that oh. I've had so far. Sometimes. We just had a nice mangrove jack in the oven. Yeah, white sea bass, pretty special. question we'd like to ask guys that have been in the water for a while is if they could recall their scariest moment out spearfishing. My scariest moment, without doubt, would also be on a white sea bass. There's actually a video of it on YouTube, which I recommend everyone watches. I had shot a sea bass. It was upwards of 65, 70 pounds. I shot it in the head and it didn't pull much real line at all, very little. So I just figured that, you know, I'd pretty much put it out of action. And I went and retraced my real line, probably only pulled maybe 10 meters or so, 10, 20 meters. And I swam down. I only took half a breath because I was in very shallow water, which is often where you find sea bass. I was probably in, I don't know, 20 25 feet, you know, less than 10 metres, maybe 7, 8 metres. And I swam down, and I'm not a very strong guy, so yeah, a lot of guys, when you see them going for the kill, they can muscle a fish really adequately, and they'll just wrestle it and put it out of action pretty quickly. What I do have is I have a decent breath hold, so I usually don't mind taking my time with a fish and getting my hands in its gills and bringing it to the surface. And I went to get my hand in its gills, and the fish just lit up, and it took me a while, and I kind of wrestled with it, you know, on the bottom there. And while I was focusing on trying to get my hand in its gills, what I didn't realize was happening was that the fish was sending me clockwise and we were just going in circles. Oh, and wow. In that time, my shooting line had wrapped around my fins mm. and oh. kelp and it cinched it tight. And I was totally unaware of this. And eventually I got my hand in its gills and I went to swim to the surface and I realized that my legs were pinned and locked into the kelp and, mm. and I just couldn't move. Wow. <laughs> so I was trapped underwater. I think at that point, 
you know, I was on half a breath and it's a pretty, you see the video, it's a pretty tough struggle with the fish. I think I'm down for about a minute or a minute and a half. And I just looked up and I could see I was probably six feet from the surface and I just couldn't move. For a second there, I thought, you know what, this would be game over. But luckily, I managed to just kind of change my kick a little bit and I wiggled enough room out of there to just get to the surface and I could take small breaths of air and then duck back under and then go up again and duck back under because I had a few problems. One was I couldn't shake the fish off my hand because my gloves were stuck in its gills. So I just kind of had this 65-pound fish on one <laughs> hand, um, my feet cinched, and, you know, I'm in a 7 mil, so I've got 20 pounds of lead around my waist. Oh, wow. uh, I'm on half a breath of air, so I'm not fully inflated. My buoyancy's all wrong. But, yeah, when I got up, I did some pretty hard hook breaths, mate. Yeah, I bet and you I, did. I'm not too proud to say that it stayed with me for a few days. I was definitely in shock. Yeah. Mm. Okay, we'll try and link that video up in your show notes, Tank, so people can have a good look at that. That's a great story. And what were your kind of takeaways from that? Like, what sort of practical like steps would you take to avoid that happening again in the future? Because yeah. obviously uh, yeah. you've thought a lot about it. A lot came out of that video. I'm really grateful I put it up because a lot of people were very specific in warning me not to put that video up because they said, this is going to show people that you're a bit of a yahoo and that you're a renegade and they don't want you on their boats because you let this sort of thing happen to you. But for me, it was super important because I wanted to know what I did wrong and I wanted to know if I could learn anything from it. And the best guys out there, I went out to two or three guys first. You know, one was Terry, one was Richie Bolter. I think Taco was another one or Ray Powell, I can't remember. And they all said, you know, that's happened to all of us in some situation or another. And, you know, there wasn't a lot that I could have done in that situation. But it was great. And when I put up that video, we went on some forums, we got over a thousand comments and a lot was learned and a lot of people learned from my mistakes and I learned from them as well. Some of the things were, you know, one is always take a full breath. You know, I didn't need to take half a breath. I should have taken a full one. Another one was if a fish lights up, let it go. You know, just go back to the surface. You can always go back down. A part of me at that point of hunting white sea bass was in the back of my mind was that person that's always saying, you know, you should be using a slip tip. I only ever use a flopper. So part of me was scared. It was such a trophy fish that I was going to lose it. So I was in a rush to get it in my hands. So in retrospect, you know, just let it go. If it lights up, you know, and then go back to the surface, wait till you read and then go back down again. The third thing was I had a lanyard on my knife, but I didn't use it. Normally what I do is I go down, I muscle the fish, and then I take the knife out and then I brain it. People were saying you should have your knife ready in your hand, but I hadn't because I, the lanyard I had had slipped off once before and I'd lost the knife, so I didn't want to lose a knife. I've now re-rigged my gear so that the lanyard has two loops, one for the knife and one for my hand. That was the fourth thing I learned out of that. And the fifth thing was the Omer foot pockets I had, and it would be very easy to see in the video. If I see this on anyone's foot pockets, I rip them off immediately. It has these two little clips that lock the tendons of the foot pocket onto the blade. Yeah. yeah. And those little clips look like bollards and they're perfect little devices for cinching things like mono. Okay. And the mono had wrapped around those clips. And so if you've got those clips, if you have those foot pockets, you know what they are. You just rip them off. They're not needed at all. The thing that screwed me up was I didn't realize mono had tied up my fins. I thought it was kelp. Is when you watch the video, you can't see any mono around my fins. All you see is a bunch of kelp. So, yeah, I learned a lot out of that. And I guess the biggest thing I learned was don't be afraid to share your mistakes. There are people out there that can help you and you may help someone else. Okay, yeah, no, that's that's awesome, Tank. And thanks for sharing that mistake. And, like, that, that is where we do our best learning. It's, it's from the failures. It's from the setbacks. 
It's now time for Pirate Pete's Veterans Vault. Take it away, Pete. <laughs> Arrgh! It's time to open the Veterans Vault. We're talking about knowing your body and its limitations. Is there a story that would help us show the importance of why a sparrow should know their bodies and, and their limitations? You know, it's interesting. I was just on a dive a few weeks ago with a mate of mine who I've done quite a bit of diving with. And, you know, I know this guy inside out. He's a, he's a very strong diver. He's very fit. And it was towards the end of the day and he did a longish dive and he had a bit of trouble with his float line. It got snagged on his way back up and he was kind of muscling it a little bit. And it was quite a deep dive. We were lucky we had very good visibility. And I watched him very closely as he was coming up. And we had a lot of shorthands where, you know, we'll make little signals to each other just to say, hey, you know, I'm okay, I'm fine, whatever. And as he was coming up, I just had a feeling that something wasn't quite right. I just watched him super intently. And he came to the surface and I was looking at his eyes really carefully. And I just kept saying, are you okay? And there was this two-second delay. And then he went, yeah, I think. And in between that yeah and the I think, I saw his eyes kind of glaze a little bit. And he had the smallest of sambas. It's something that he would never have picked up. It's something that 99% of Spiros would never have picked up. I picked it up because I'm a trained freediver and I've seen a lot of blackouts in competition. And I know what the signs are. At that point, I said, we're done. I said, yeah, to Samba. Didn't ask a question. He didn't say anything. He just went, okay, that's it, done. And, you know, we'd spent a lot of money on that trip. We were a long way from shore, and we cut that day right there, right then. And I feel pretty confident that nine out of ten Spiros would not have known what had happened in that situation and, you know, would have kept diving. And if he had kept diving and if he had done another longish dive and pushed himself and he wasn't spotted, he'd probably be dead. And that's the thing is when you ask about knowing your limitations, you often don't. Because it wasn't that hard a dive for him. It wasn't anything special. But we talked about it the next day and we'd been up since three in the morning. Not because we were partying, but it was an hour and a half drive to the boat and right uh, to the boat ramp. And then, you know, it was another two hours from the boat ramp out. And then we'd been diving for eight hours. You know, you're not getting the proper amounts of nutrition. You're probably not hydrated properly. Yeah, you know, we've probably done 50 or 60 dives. Mm. It's really hard to know what your limitations are. So I generally say to people, you know, when in doubt, just abort or the plug. The other thing about free diving is, I don't want to get too technical here, but the more you dive in the course of a day, the more comfortable you'll feel because you get used to the amount of CO2 in your body. Yep. So the dives actually get easier throughout the day. That's why you hear about so many guys having these scary moments. They'll go, oh, yeah, it was just one more dive or it was yeah. the last dive of the day. It was because you actually feel quite comfortable in the water. You're confident the CO2 isn't really hurting you as much as the first dive of the day does. But it's the exact worst time to be diving at your best mm. because you're dehydrated, you're tired, you're not eating enough. There's all sorts of things going on. I know Spiros are really funny about doing freediving courses, but a freediving course won't make you a better hunter unless you're doing a spearfishing specific course like Simon Tripp does a good course down in Sydney. But what it will do is it'll keep you alive. And I can't stress that enough. Like it kills me when I see these guys go out and buy a second or a third or a fourth gun and they don't know what the signs of a samba are. Yeah. They don't know how to prevent one. They don't know how to see it in someone else. They don't know how to do a rescue on someone. For the price of a gun, I think it's invaluable. Yeah, look, we actually facilitate some pool training with Wayne Judge, and I'm not trying to give it a plug, but one of the things 
that's the best about Wayne's training is the drills and the rescue drills, getting used to picking someone off the bottom, supporting them up, tapping on their face, breathing on them, saying their name, you know, getting used to just doing it routinely so that when it does happen in a real life situation, yeah. they're, they're prepared for it. And then the next question is, you know, because you do them in the pool, right? But if a guy blacks out at 10 metres or 15 metres, would you be able to secondhand immediately know exactly what to do? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because doing it in the pool is very different. And I've, I've had the reverse happen. I've had guys who've done comps, have been a safety diver in depth comps, and then they've gone to do it in the pool and they've kind of messed it up because they're tripping over their fins because they're only in six mm. feet of water. Yeah. And I will give Apnea Australia a plug. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, go for it is a phenomenal diver. He's a former world-ranked depth diver, and he runs out in the Australia out here. And, and his school has divers all over the country, and he will travel. And there's, you know, trippers down in Sydney, obviously, and Judge, who's Wayne Judge's son, does courses out of Sydney. There are guys in Queensland and Victoria. They'll fly out to WA. Yeah, I couldn't recommend it enough, mate. And it'll teach you a lot about just about knowing how to do a breather, how to get comfortable in the water, and just all the basics that people need to know, I think. We, we had Simon Tripp on the show and he was talking about some of the the amazing statistics he gets out of the guys he takes out in his spearfishing workshop and how nearly all of them hyperventilate and a proper breathe-up is just a basic essential to safe spearfishing. And a lot of guys are hyperventilating so that they're more comfortable and they're not aware of what they're actually doing to themselves. Yeah, most people, I think, probably wouldn't even know what hyperventilation is. Like, just moderating your breathing in any way is a form of hyperventilation. Some people argue that simply breathing through a snorkel is a form of hyperventilation just because it is changing the way, you know, you are breathing. I mean, I personally wouldn't go that far, but, you know, there are important things to know about. And, you know, we talked about the positives of the internet earlier. I think one of the real disadvantages of the internet is everyone wants to dive to 30 metres now. You know, mm. everyone wants to sit on the bottom for two minutes. Turbo just wants to dive to 13 <laughs> metres tank just to take it lighter for a sec. But, yeah, I get what you're saying. We've watched some of the introductory videos that are on YouTube and they're, they're scary. Yeah, and, and if that's all they're doing, interacting with YouTube content, like you, you don't know what they're in for. I know more than 12 guys in the last 15 months have died spear fishing. 12? Yeah. Wow, that's well, terrible. And we're not hearing about the close calls, mm. you know. The near misses. Yeah, the near misses. It's a tough thing, you know, because it's kind of like, you know, when I was 16, if you gave me a super bike, I would have taken it. Mm. You know, but in retrospect, you don't give a 16-year-old a Ferrari. Nah. Did you going to wrap it around a pole. Just thinking back to, you said like in the early days, you just went out with a pole spiral, you did everything by yourself. Do you look back, was there anything that you did back in those days that you just think, holy crap, how do I get away with that? Yep. I remember one specific dive. I don't know what it was that did it. I think it was just because I had just really short breather-ups. I didn't feel like I was pushing myself at all in retrospect. And on the way up, I had two mini blackouts, like everything went black. <laughs> And then I could see again, and then everything went black, and then I could see again, and I came to the surface. And I thought, oh, what's that? <laughs> Literally, that was it. I said, oh, what's that? And then I dove again, and I didn't feel right, and I went, oh, maybe it's time to call it quick. Sounds like you dodged a bullet. And that was 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. All right. So, look, what are some practical steps our audience can take to learn their limitations and apply some safe diving practice tank? I think it's really important that you focus on your hunting technique and not on your free diving when it comes to spearfishing. 
I think forget about the numbers, you know, don't worry about looking at your watch and saying, oh, wow, you know, I went another meter deeper or I went another 10 seconds longer. That, that should totally be insignificant. It should be the furthest thing from your mind. I think it's important to make sure you're well rested. It's important to make sure that you're hydrated and you're not out in the booze the night before and to be healthy. And I think it's really important to stay conservative in every way. Like, you know, when I do a dive, you know, I have a seven minute breath hold. Most of my dives are under 70 seconds. My average dive is probably 60 seconds. And that may sound like a long dive to some people and an incredibly short dive to other people, but that's a very comfortable, safe dive for me because, you know, I will swim to whatever depth I'm swimming to and I will turn around well before I'm anywhere close to being in any sort of kind of discomfort because you've got to think if you shoot a fish, your adrenaline's going to go through the roof. Yeah. And every kind of signal you have is going to go out the window. All you're thinking about is that fish from that point on. Mm. Now, if that fish gets you in trouble, then you've got that to contend with as well. Mm. So I turn around not when I think it's time to go up. I turn around thinking, okay, I still need another 40 seconds if I was to shoot a fish anyway. So mm. let's just turn around and go back. Mm. It's just not worth it. And I'm, I monitor as the day progresses, I get more and more conservative. Even though I feel better and better, I get more and more conservative. So oh, okay. I am taking into account that my performance on a physiological level is going to be suffering. You know, when I do max dives, my max dive is my very first dive. Yeah, I've, I've talked about that with free divers before and often that's the hardest dive. Your contractions hit you the hardest and things like that in the swimming pool. And Oh, yeah, without doubt. It's like that. There is no pain that I could compare to the first dive on a max dive attempt. <laughs> But it's when I'm at my freshest and it's when I'm at my clearest and it's when I'm least likely to suffer from any kind of samba. Okay. All right. Any other sort of steps our audience can take with that tech just to learn their limitations or? Yeah, I think just to be conservative and yep. to never, never, it's, it's a really tough one, you know, because I get people emailing me every week saying, how can I dive deeper or how can I dive longer? And, you know, I think in some ways, the more free dive training you do, it can almost hurt you in some ways because you do get more comfortable with contractions. You want to get away from that. You know, like for me, for example, I'm used to putting myself through so much discomfort that I've got to make a real mental note to make sure I come up early. Because when I start feeling uncomfortable, it's way later than when most people start feeling uncomfortable. So for me, knowing my limitations is making sure I come up well before I feel any discomfort. Okay, cool. Turbo might go down and, you know, after 15 seconds, he's like, wow, this contraption's a bang, you know. <laughs> I wanted to add that, but you beat me to the punch. Yeah, you're the Thank first God guest God. to jump on the bandwagon. No, he, a bastard. He's spot, on, he's spot on there. 15 seconds. His lungs are jumping out of his chest. And I still shoot more fish than you. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, so that's what I was going to say. Would you take, I would shoot trophy fish from the surface. I've got no problems with that. At the end of the day, I will take that trophy fish from the surface rather than have to do a 30-meter dive and pull up a 600-gram Dentex. Yeah, nice. Yeah, absolutely. Turbo did have a good dive in the weekend tank. He shot himself a 14 to 15 kilo Spanish mackerel. He was proud as punch. Good on you, mate. Yeah, oh, thanks, guys. That's I want to hear. Oh, thanks, fellas. Oh, geez, I feel good. <laughs> all right. Hang on, moving on. Fish, mate. Don't, 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 don't be all Australian on me. No, no, I, I did love it. I, I actually, I've shot a couple of big Spaniards before. And tell I, tell I, us the story, though. Frank, it's about, it's about 10 metres. Fizz was, what, about 8, 10? Yeah, it wasn't too wow, bad. Dirty. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit dirty. But yeah, no, it was just a little drop to the bottom and I was coming up and, yeah, this big horse showed his head and checked the rig line, everything was good and just popped him and away we went. 
Headshot? No, it wasn't a headshot. I was close. It was, it was on it was one up, side. It was up. It was well, up upper body. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty good now, shot. Hang on a second. It was 10 metres to the bottom or you mm. were at 10 metres? No, it was only 10 metres to the bottom. Uh, 12 metres to the bottom, but you were probably in about six or eight metres. Oh, go away. Wow. He, he nearly made it to the bottom, though. <laughs> nearly. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> What's the point? Oh, you suck. Hey, this segue is nice. We've had a bit of a good serious section, Tank, and some great practical takeaways for our audience. And But you can't undersell safety, and, and people do die doing the sport. So thanks for sharing that. Next, we want you to tell the funniest thing you've experienced out spearfishing. I'll tell you one story that might be a little bit funny. I was up in Queensland last year, and there is the guy who shall remain nameless who is renowned for being accident-prone, and he celebrates it. He celebrates how accident-prone he is. And oh, in fact, no. If something is going to go wrong, it's going to happen to this guy, whether it be equipment malfunction, injury, boats breaking down, you name it, it's going to happen to this guy. And he's a, he's a lovely guy. I've got a lot of time for him. And I heard all these stories, and, and I've seen him post them up on Facebook, and I thought, surely this can't be true. This man can't be that unlucky. And sure enough, we went on a dive. It's the first time I've been on a boat with him. And he was telling us these stories about this, that, and the other. We go in and we hop on a fad. And I'd never shot a dolly before at that point. A nice, healthy-sized dolly came in front of me and I plugged it. And it took off like a bat out of hell. And at that point, someone had also told me that dollies are quite soft flesh. So, you know, just be gentle with them. And this thing went straight at this guy, <laughs> straight at him, oh, and no. put my shaft straight into his shoulder. <laughs> Ripped oh, the whole no. wetty, turned around, and then came straight back at me. And I got on the boat and I thought, mate, you are the unluckiest man I've ever met. Wow. So, yeah, that's my, that's my little funny story for you. At least the hole in his wetsuit wasn't in a more awkward spot. Yeah, exactly. He may or may not have gotten a little crash test dummy insignia tattooed on his neck, I think, recently. <laughs> All right, so this guy's, away. this guy's famous now. Yeah, yeah he's, he's already famous, mate, don't worry. I've got to say, he's one of the sweetest guys I've ever met. Cool. Take now, it's time for Pedro's Fast Five Facts for Noobs. Take it away, Pedro. See, it's time for Noob Spiro's Fast Five Facts. Ay, ay, ay. Basically, what we're after is five pieces of information or piece of advice to help the noob basically starting out spearfishing. Yeah, what, what would you have liked to have heard starting out? What five bits of information would you have loved starting out, Tank? One, slow down. That's a good one in all facets of life, in and out of the water. Just slow down. Two, get closer. I think Turbo and I were talking about shooting with small guns. It's great training. Get as close as you can to that fish. And that's, you know, really drilled into me in terms of learning how to hunt better. A veteran in the US once jokingly said to me, if you can see the parasites on the fish, then you're close enough to pull the trigger. (laughs) So I'd say get closer. Another one would be use your eyes. And it sounds funny, but you'd be surprised at how much ground you can cover just with your eyes. Just your eyes and your head, something I've got to constantly remind myself. It's very easy to get lazy when you're swimming in the water. Just Your head just kind of focuses on the bottom. Yeah. You kind of just keep swimming. Just yeah. keep your eyes moving. Keep scouring, scouring, scouring. Get that head moving. You don't need to move your whole body around. You can get into this kind of like passenger tourist snorkeling mode, can't you? Exactly. And you've got to yeah. keep scanning. Keep scanning. Another one would be know your equipment. Know it really well, you know, trial, error, refine and repeat. Use it, 
if it breaks, find out why, fix it, modify it, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. You know, that's the only way you learn how to, you know, get your systems down pat because when you hit that big one, you want everything to be working schmick. That's great. That's great advice. Yeah, I have a rule of never introducing more than one piece of new equipment mm. in a dive. Yep. You know, I won't throw on a new mask and a new handle or whatever because like, I know whatever new piece of equipment I take out, just for that first couple of dives, I'm not going to be relaxed. I'm trying to figure out how it works or it's going to be, you know, this, that or the other. So mm. Yeah, cool. That's an important one. When in doubt, abort, dive another day. That's all that matters. Cool. Stay humble. Stay humble. Ask questions. Don't ever stop learning. And, you know, too many people are too busy trying to impress stuff with their knowledge. I recently met up with a guy. I met him last year, actually, Brett Verko. I went and stayed with him last year. And this guy is hes a real veteran. You know, this guy's been diving 30 years. He's shot every billfish. He holds a couple of Australian state records. He dives several times a week. Bit of a legend. And I met up with him and I, I rang him up and I said, hey, you know, I just... I've never met you. I'd like to just meet you for a cup of coffee and maybe I could, you know, pick your brain. And I went around to his house in Kofsaba and all he did was ask me questions. <laughs> and it really kind of threw me, you know, because I was the noob and he was looking at my gear and he's like, oh, what do you think about these fins? And how about that? And what about this? And oh, I see you've done this and you've read that that way. And what about this? And, and it kind of just really kind of made me think, you know, like this guy is one of the most experienced spear fishermen in the country. And he's asking me questions. Yeah, wow. That really said something to me, that you just, you never stop learning. Mm. So be humble, stay humble, ask questions, listen, and don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Don't be afraid to be scared and to say it, you know. I'm scared right now. I don't feel comfortable. Do you mind if I sit this one out? Yeah, that's good. And you you live the talk too, like Tank, you shared a failure, like your white sea bass tangle video, and you knew you'd probably cop some flack for it, so... And they're like, you're helping other people to learn with doing things like that. It's great advice. So can I read back your fast six facts for noobs? Number one was slow down. Number two, get closer. Number three was use your eyes. Number four, know your equipment. Trial, error, iterate, try again. Get your systems down pat. Number five was when in doubt, abort. And number six was stay humble, stay hungry, ask questions, don't stop learning. That's an awesome fast six. Tank, I'm happy. (laughs) next question crucial kit for noobs what piece of equipment is essential and what brands do you recommend and why i never thought i would say this but i think a dive watch is pretty essential just to monitor i think our perception of time is skewed when we're in the water especially if we shot a fish and i rely on my watch pretty religiously for breathe up times and I've been in certain situations where I know I thought that I was on the surface for an extremely considerable amount of time and I've looked at my watch and it's only been like 60 seconds. Okay. So I feel totally naked without a dive watch now. And there are several brands on the market and Sunto, I have a Sunto, I think they make a great watch. They are more at the expensive end though, Tank? Yeah, I think uh, there's an Aries, which is yeah. a, a cheaper... I think you know anything that basically has something that will automate your surface time yeah, that's the feature you need. You know, as long as it has that feature, you can set it. Like mine blinks at me when I'm at you know three minutes or something. So I, you know, so you're an ad- are you an advocate for longer than three minutes, or do you do like twice the time down? What do you preach as to surface intervals? My minimum breathe up is two minutes, regardless of how short my dive is, and then I do double the basically I do double the time from 
double to triple to quadruple the time, depending okay. on how long I've dove for and how much I've pushed myself. But I don't, as a rule, I don't do dives in succession within two and a half minutes. Okay. Ah. So even if it's a 30-second dive, I'll wait two and a half minutes. Okay. I'm extremely on the cautious side, but I really recommend people do a free diving course and they'll go through, you know, a lot of it depends on, you know, when you get contractions and, you know, there's a lot of reasons why just having a longer breath up is more beneficial for you from lactic acid to the bends to reoxygenating your blood. But yet, you know, when in doubt, an extra 30 seconds on the surface is not going to kill you. All right, Tank. Look, have you got any calls to action for our audience? We're going to link up Tank's aid page on Facebook in our show notes so people can come and private message you and ask some questions if they want to know more in there. We're also going to link up Apnea Australia because you've been mentioning freediving courses, but they're run in every country. You can find reliable freediving courses anywhere in the world. Absolutely. Just, you've also got a popular Facebook page, Freedivers, it's just called. Is that, <coughs> is that right? Yes, it is. Facebook.com slash freedivers. Okay, and there's like over 6,000 people on there, isn't there? There's over seven now, maybe 7,200 or something. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and they're predominantly Spiros, and they're Spiros from all over the world. So it's great to see people chiming in from, you know, the Middle East, the US, to Europe, to Australia. Yeah. I recently made a friend in the West Indies anyway uh, on, I think it was on, might have been on your page. There's some great conversations on there, and it's good to see a global spearfishing community sort of cranking. Yeah, it's great. I love it because, you know, it's seasonal. So when I'm in the US and things are quiet there, things are pumping down here. So I get to see, you know, all the things that you guys are shooting and, and vice versa. So yeah. Well, you, it'll, be quiet, it'll be quiet on Turbo's page. <laughs> well, I think I shot more fish than you this, this weekend. Yeah, yeah, you, you did. Turbo, you tell him. You in, tell his heart, him in his heart, he's a great spirit <laughs> tank. Oh, right. You tell him, mate. I'm, I'm going to come up and dive with you guys. That's why. That's cool. my news resolution. Well, Better be on your A game. <laughs> I, will, I will bring my A game. I'll, I'll bring my safe game. That's what we want to hear. Hey, that's, that's cool. cool. Is there anything else, any other actions you'd like our audience to take or maybe a final bit of advice for them, Tech? Just stay safe, you know, develop a good relationship with a shop or a store that you know so that, you know, I think it's really important you get good equipment, you know, buy it right the first time. Yeah. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. Yep, fair you enough. Know, it's about quality, not quantity, so... Yeah, just be safe. Hey, thanks for coming on the show, Tank, and thanks for helping our audience out. There's some great, great intel on there. And we'll, like I said, we'll link up all those videos you've mentioned and some of those pages so people can find that on noobspira.com. Yeah, thanks for coming along. Thanks for being a guest on the show. Thanks a lot, Tank. Thank you for having me. It's been an honour, gentlemen. Thanks for listening today, Noob Spiro. If you'd like to find out any more information from today's guest, then head over to noobspiro.com. We really appreciate you guys as listeners. Without you, we couldn't do the show. So if you want to help us out, leave us a review on iTunes or head on over to noobspiro.com and uh, sign up for our newsletter. We won't send you crap. So that's all from us. A big hooroo. We hope to see you soon. Shrek over and out.